0: You're listening to the Husker Online
1: Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: i strolled around a little bit and I usually have my head down going about my work and then every once in a while, I'll see something that, that takes me back 20 years and, and then I get that kind of surreal feeling. The practice facility's changed quite a bit. It's beautiful now, uh, but I still remember getting hit really hard by Grant Wistrom on the field inside the track uh, during a fall camp. Sometimes I was walking across the track the other day and thought about that. So uh, it, it's exciting to be back. Uh, I I spent a lot of time here, have a lot of love for this place, and have a lot of memories. And I'm looking forward to adding
1: more. We grew a lot as a team, and we got stronger. Definitely lost body fat, gained muscles. So it was it was probably the best off season I've had. Um,
2: you know, I think there's been a big big change as far as accountability. You know, um, obviously with what happened, you know what we did last season didn't work. Um, something has to change. Um, or else we're going to see the same results. So you know, like like uh, I was just saying, you know, the buy-in has been pretty great, um, and, and it needs to be um, in order for us to kind of get this thing rolling. And- Hello, and welcome here again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and it is finally here. 112 days from Iowa here till the first day of spring. Nebraska will take the field Friday morning, bright and early, from six to eight. For spring practice number one, as we will get our, we won't get a look, unfortunately, at the, at the team on the practice field, but we will at least see them leaving the field and we'll talk to head coach Scott Frost uh, before he sends his players off to spring break. Uh, but, guys, a lot to cover. Um, we had Scott Frost for 30 minutes. We had all 10 of his assistant coaches for 45 minutes and then a group of players for another 30 minutes. Uh, so, about as jam packed of a day as you're going to get. Um, just as far as information, um, uh, of, of what you're going to learn, uh, coming into the spring. Um, but I, I thought that, you know, a lot of things jumped out to me, uh, with coach frost, but, um, just number one, how open and honest he is like, he is not going to be shy with his words. Um, he will call you out and, and he doesn't care. Like He. He doesn't play podium politics. He's going to say what he's thinking um, if you want to hear it or you don't want to hear it, and, and and we got a taste of that a few times, and he's not afraid to definitely share his opinions uh, about past decisions at Nebraska, um, about, you know, previous uh, administrators here, and, and I, I think a lot of that goes back to his love for Tom Osborne and his respect for Tom Osborne, uh, the way Tom Osborne was treated um, by Harvey Perlman and Sean Eichhorst, and, and he kind of threw a nice couple little jabs there at the end of his press conference uh, to, to kind of kick things off here.
3: Well, he's <clears throat> one of the few people that actually has the clout at this point to say those types of things. You know, Usually when a guy's hired, um, they're basically not allowed to say anything about previous coaches, but you know, when, when you're a guy with um, these types of ties to the program and you're just hired by a brand new athletic director, you know, you, you got a little bit more leeway. So um, Frost definitely takes advantage of that. His staff takes advantage of that. Um, and so hopefully they're, they're able to back that up. But, I you know, one of the things that, you know, uh, the overall pick, big picture thing that stood out to me um, was just kind of his explanation on their overall coaching style. You know, obviously, the past two staffs here have had about as polar opposite approaches to their on-field coaching and practice coaching as you can get with Bo Pelini being the yeller and screamer, intense, you know, spit, throw your hat type guy with Mike Riley, who, you know, sometimes you even forgot where he was (laughs) on the sideline. Um, So Scott Frost, he's, I think, a perfect mix of both of that. Clearly he has plenty of intensity. Um, You know, you just see it in the way he carries himself in everything he does. But also, uh, he said kind of the th- overall theme they want for this team and how they approach every day and everything they do is, quote, have a desire to excel and no fear of failure. And so he he said, he stressed this actually, he's not going to be the guy that's berating players and cussing at them and screaming at them when they make a mistake, because he wants his players to have the confidence to take chances and make plays. And as long as you are learning from your mistakes, um, then they're not going to you know hold it against you if you're out there just trying to make plays. Plays. And I think by doing that, that's going to allow players to free up a little bit and not have those moments where we've seen time and again over the years, they get tight um, and they just, you know, make dumb mental mistakes where they're overthinking things. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that philosophy kind of carries over uh, over the next few months of practice and, and how that kind of maybe just changes um, the approach of these players
1: uh, and just how they play the game. Well, that, that's really what stood out to me too, and and it wasn't just Frost saying it. It was the assistants after we had a chance to talk with those guys. Um, you know, Eric Chenander brought it up. Greg Austin brought it up, and I thought he he had a good point. He said, he said, my job is not to attack the player if he makes a mistake. It's to attack the situation and figure out why he's making that mistake and and attack it and correct it. And um, and and I think all of that. It will make a a more fun environment. You know that Frost said that we're going to have fun at practice. These guys are going to have fun practicing, and and they're not going to be paralyzed. Like you said, Robin, kind of paralyzed by either being afraid to make a mistake or by overthinking, you know, they're going to, they don't want these guys to be, you know, thinking and, and overthinking everything. They want to just go play, make plays and be athletes and, and have fun out on the football field.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Line show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, a Klaus is uh, Nebraska getting ready to kick off spring practice, at least the, the first one. And then they'll, they'll, they'll take a layoff before they come back after spring break. As far as injuries go uh, yesterday, Uh, Frost has ruled out Jojo Doman with the knee, uh, Luke Gifford, uh, with the hip and likely we will not see Michael Decker as he's recovering from his knee. Now there is an outside chance that we could see Trey Bryant, um, and Cedric King back on the field. Uh, Cole Conrad uh, with his shoulder probably not going to be back, but uh, there's a they didn't rule it out. Uh, Tyjon Lindsey has fully recovered, uh, but of all that injury stuff right there, Trey Bryant's the kind of the one Robin that I'll be most intrigued. um I didn't think we'd see him this spring, so if we do see him. Um, you know where will he be in that recovery process
3: well even if he does practice it sounds like he's not going to do a whole lot um, Frost kind of made that clear that they're going to be extremely careful with him um, because they know the situation with his knee this is not just a, a one-time injury that you know happened last year it's just something that he's been dealing with for a long time now and it hasn't gotten any better and that's the big concern with him is you know his long-term future and what that knee will ultimately allow him to do and so they're not going to take any chances um, with setting up him back in an unnecessary spring ball um, but one thing Frost did mention he watched the film of those first two games of last season and he said quote Trey Bryant looked really good and so I think that if you get a healthy Trey Bryant, you're probably looking at the front runner to win that starting job, just because of his experience um, and you know his obviously proven playmaking Greg ability. Greg Bell, yeah, Greg Bell, he'll, he'll be Greg in the conversation. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'm just saying we, you've never seen Greg Bell take a snap at the D1 level, so
2: I've seen him at the highest level. Trey Bryant G-Bell.
3: averaged 200 yards a game before he got hurt. Six quarters though. Okay. I'm just saying, there's evidence and then there's I'm a potential. big Trey
2: Bryant fan, but I, I've got to see him be 100%. I know,
3: and that's the big question. Uh, and so, obviously, you know, they talked about just the, also the running game in general and how important that is. You know, Frost said that our offense is going to be committed to the run first. And while there's been varying degrees of how they use the running back, you cannot run this system without running the football. And so whoever that – if it's Greg Bell, if it's Trey Bryant, or even Mikael Wilbon or Divina Zigbo, Jalen Bradley, uh, they're going to put an emphasis on the run game, and he pointed out the backs that have come through that system and thrived in that feature role: like Garrett Blunt, Michael James, De'Anthony Thomas, Kenyon Barner uh, at Oregon. They've and, always had a running back. Yep, Adrian I mean, Killens rattled them off. Yeah, Adrian Killens, OJ Anderson uh, at uh, at Central Florida. So, uh, I mean, the the list is pretty impressive of running backs that uh, have taken their games to elite levels in this system. And so, I think whoever emerges from that pack. Sean's got Greg Bell. I'm still holding out hope that Trey Bryant can be that dude. Uh, but I think one of those guys or maybe somebody else could ha- have a breakout year um, and finally kind of get back to uh, Nebraska running back position, back to where it was uh, in the recent history.
1: Well, my deal with with uh, Trey Bryant is I kind of get the feeling that this could be a chronic issue, that this that whatever the surgery he had, which is really weird, we still don't know very many specifics on exactly what the injury was, what the surgery was. Yeah, that's was. the weirdest part, you know, secrecy. Was it, yeah, was it a corrective deal? Was it something to just kind of help him get by? But the way that he said, you know, we're going to be real careful with Trey Bryant, kind of leads me to believe that maybe this is a chronic injury and they don't want to put too many miles on him, so to speak, uh, this spring to, to kind of keep him ready or keep him healthy uh, for the fall. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, th- I mean, that's to me, that's how that everything kind of hinges on Trey Bryant's injury uh, heading into the spring and then obviously into next fall.
2: Well, we'll continue this discussion of spring practice here in our next segment. We're going to talk more about the quarterback race. Uh, and stick on the offense. then we'll talk more about Eric Shenander and his defense here. Um, and we'll talk some Nebraska basketball as the Huskers into their season at Mississippi State in the NIT uh, Wednesday night and, and, and we'll get Robin's thoughts on what's next. And uh, some recruiting thoughts as Nebraska had a visitor from Iowa on campus. Uh, on Wednesday, and they're going to have a lot more guys visiting here um, starting March 31st and all the way through the red-white game on April 21st. So all of that's next here on this week's edition of the Husker Online Show.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: You know, we we decided on this format for a bunch of reasons. I didn't want to do half a spring ball before spring break and half after. I've seen a couple college spring breaks on MTV and I'm not sure you're going to get the most out of the kids before or after that. With the way the rules are set up, uh, by practicing on Friday we've been able to meet with the guys all week, which gave us a, a whole nother week of meetings to try to get them familiar with our schemes. Uh, I, I think it's going to be also, also be beneficial to have them get a taste of what it's like and then be able to go on spring break and come back uh, with a little bit of an idea of what they have in front of them. And I think we'll be able to accomplish more in spring
2: because of that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Nate Klaus, as that was head coach Scott Frost, uh, just giving his thoughts and input on on the schedule that he has set up here uh, for the start of spring as uh, they will have just one practice here on Friday morning, bright and early, 6 a.m., before not coming back until Tuesday, March 27th. So um, there's going to be a layoff, but... Um, the the advantage was they had meet they can have meetings the entire week by having just one Friday morning practice uh, they were allowed to have meetings uh, every single day Monday through Thursday do a lot of chalkboard stuff install um, work uh, behind the scenes and then they can at least give the players a taste of things uh, before they go to spring break and and Robin I want to stick on offense here uh, we'll talk quarterbacks no surprise uh, nobody's really tipping their hand because they don't know really how things are going to look. I mean, clearly Adrian Martinez is their guy. They brought him in. I think he's going to get a fair, fair look uh, at this job. But um, Jebby and O'Brien, will one of those guys emerge? And they've even talked about Andrew Bunch a little but a little bit as well. Noah Bedrill can't play, but I think he's going to make an impact this year behind the scenes.
3: Yeah, you know, I think that week of meetings was valuable, especially for that quarterback room, um, because obviously, you know, those types of chalkboard sessions to where, um, you know, you get your coaches and your players on the same page, I think that's going to make the actual practices far more efficient and far more productive. Um, But the reality is uh, these coaches really can't say a whole lot about where things stand, you know, with any position, let alone the most important position on the field at quarterback, uh, because they've never seen him with a football in their hands. They've never seen Tristan. Jebbia throw football. They've never seen Patrick O'Brien throw football in a practice, and so uh, until they actually get on the field and have a few practices under their belt. Um, I think they know as much as we do about where things stand in that quarterback room. Um, and obviously, like you mentioned, um, Adrian Martinez was handpicked. Uh, I mean, Scott Frost wore himself to the ground traveling across country uh, with I mean, sleepless nights to make in-home visits You know, while he's preparing for ball practices, while he's trying to get things ready for <laughs> Nebraska. So clearly, he is a very valuable asset to them that I agree will get um, certainly a fair shake uh, to win the starting job as a true freshman. But that being being said um he also said that you know jebby and o'brien have been really great to work with um, they've come in with great attitudes these meetings have been really good um and i think they're really clicking early on uh so i mean the the fact that those guys have been in the program you know they're probably a little bit you know stronger more seasoned uh, of playing at this level um you know that that's certainly not going to be a, a, an easy path for martinez to just walk in and take the job so that is by far going to be the most um interesting storyline for me over the course of the season because we know how important the quarterback is in this offense and which one of those guys is going to emerge and not only that how many of these guys will still be in the quarterback room when they kick back uh, practices in the fall
1: yeah I kind of like the way they've set things up here because not only were they able to have a bunch of meetings and start to get guys into things, into the swing mentally, you know, actually uh, doing, you know, getting things up on the chalkboard and, and uh, running guys through, but they're also able to have a walkthrough. Uh, at least one walkthrough uh, that that I'm aware of, uh, according to Greg Austin, that uh, where guys were able to take what they had been learning in the meetings and, and already kind of put it on the field, um, and, and even some of the guys that are out right now, like a Michael Decker, uh, was able to, to kind of you know still get mental reps, so to speak, in that walkthrough, uh, and I think that's been beneficial for for the quarterbacks, for the linemen, I mean, for really for everybody, uh, and then of course they're going to get a little taste of um, <laughs> probably a little bit of a a taste of hell uh, on Friday morning uh, before they go out and, and uh, uh, make you know have the opportunity to make good or bad decisions uh, during spring break before they come back. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to kind of. Uh, see how well this kind of plays out, and how beneficial uh, getting into the swing mentally before spring break here um, and before they actually are able to strap it on when they get back from spring break. Yeah, works. I'd
2: be I'd be curious how many guys on this team are doing the traditional Vegas or Padre or Panama Beach for spring break uh, and how many are doing what Mick Stoltenberg's doing, going to lovely Gretna, Nebraska. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's a big spring for a lot of these guys because if you, if you don't leave a good first impression – on this staff in this opening spring, you know you're going to get passed up because they're bringing in 45 new guys this year. Um, when you count all the early enrollees, transfers, and recruits and walk-ons, and it's probably going to be another 45 or 40 next year. So this roster is going to flip, and if you're a guy remaining on there, this is your opportunity. Uh, to, to kind of leave your mark. Uh, early enrollees, too. Frost said this yesterday. Um, it's the most that he's ever had. Nate, what is it, eight or nine? Um, but when you count Breon Dixon and... and yeah, uh, when you
1: count the transfers, it's 10? 10 guys.
2: Yeah, uh, Breon Dixon, uh, Noah Vedral, and then, you know, the Juco guys along with the high school guys... Um, it's really an infusion of newcomers, Nate, coming in here.
1: Yeah, tons of new faces uh, on the roster immediately, uh, especially those JUCO guys. Four four new junior college guys are on campus right now. They signed five in in last year's class. Uh, but those four JUCO mid-year transfers, I mean – all of those guys are players that they're expecting to play right away. I mean, they didn't bring those guys in to to build depth and and everything. I mean, they're they're expecting big things out of Will Honus, out of Deontay Williams, and, and um, you know all those guys, uh, the the wide receivers. Um, so it, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting with all the new faces that they've brought in um, and. You know I think it just adds to the competition like you said if 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 people aren't fully bought in and aren't ready to make a good first impression they might as well just start looking for other another school to to go to because there's the staff is very aggressive with how how many people they wanting to bring in um, and kind of like you said flip the roster here uh, as soon as possible
3: well and the old saying is you only get one chance at a first impression so these guys that are coming back that are trying to adjust to a new system on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, You asked about spring break, Sean. I think that first week of winter conditioning probably changed a lot of spring break plans. If they were going to go to South Padre Island or to, you know, whatever. Hopefully
2: they booked Southwest yeah. so they could uh, have changeable airfare. I, I, th- I think
3: they might have, uh, you know, canceled those plans just because uh, not only is there a lot at stake, um, but they're, they're going to grind. And that, I think they're going to learn a lot about what practices are, are going to entail here on Friday. You know, they're going to try to run 130 to 140 reps uh, between team and seven on seven work and so conditioning if you're not ready to go you're going to get left in the dust and so not only is it a competition but just physically being able to make it through these practices i think is going to uh be part of the weed out process
2: and right now we we won't have any open practices that we know of yet um april 3rd i'm told is the only day right now scheduled for photos so he's going to keep a tight lid on things i heard this going in we knew that central florida that was the case robin and i went to a couple of the bull practices um and watched them and And they were pretty strict about when you could be in there, how you walked in there, um, et cetera. So um, it's going to be different as far as the access the media gets to seeing this team. And I think it's going to look not bad, but I think there's going to be some struggles early that he doesn't want the media uh, to see um, just because uh, he knows it's probably not going to be pretty.
3: Yeah, and you know, I think that's just kind of his personality. You know, I mean, he's a guy that um, keeps things tight to the vest. You know, he's not a very public person to begin with, and I'm sure that's even tenfold with his football team. And so, you know, you're in the uh, fishbowl of Nebraska football, but you also have a coach that wants to keep things pretty, you know, close and locked in. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out.
2: Well, when we come back, we're going to shift over to defense. Uh, we heard from Eric Shenander and, and all of his assistant coaches yesterday, along with several players, and we'll give some thoughts uh, on what we learned about this defense going into the spring. Next, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your
0: authority on Nebraska athletics. Biggest difference is hopefully we can get some stops. Um, no, you know, I don't know much about other people's schemes. We got good players here. Uh, we need more of them, and we're going to keep recruiting to our schemes. Uh, But the players here, I I love the buy-in and and the work ethic that they've shown us so far. And we'll get a lot out of those guys. So looking forward to watching them practice in the spring and watching them improve.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus, as you just heard from Scott Frost. Uh, giving his thoughts on the defense, the 3-4. This will be the second year in a row uh, Nebraska will be in a 3-4 as they made that transition a year ago. Uh, But you get the sense they still obviously don't have all the parts, especially at outside linebacker and maybe the right type of guys at defensive end. So it's going to be a work in progress. Uh, the secondary numbers are thin. Um, they're coming off a you know a bad year on top of losing two guys to the NFL Combine. So if anything, I think the, the defense, Robin, um, has just as many, if not more, questions in the offense, especially with how they played last year, three halves of football where they gave up 42 points, um, Ohio State, Oregon, and I'm missing another. A uh, Penn State all put up 42 and a half on Nebraska's defense last year, so um, that's almost as big of a deal as anything right now.
3: Yeah, the good news is the bar can't get much lower. So no matter how well they're badly they do, it probably won't be worse. At least hope not uh, this season. So uh, they, that's the good news for Shenander. But um, you know what's interesting? You know, I, I remember back when we were at the Peach Bowl, just kind of talking to him to him about his defensive philosophy. Um, You know, obviously they gave up a a lot of yards and a lot of points, you know, especially um, at the end of the year. Um, But a lot of that is just kind of a a product of the style of play that they do offensively. I mean, they're on the field a lot. Um, They're going to get into shootouts, and it's kind of just a natural result of the Scott Frost offense. And so Shenander said his kind of whole priority is just to maybe play defense within that. Um, you know, they, the good news is they know that they have that security from their offense to where, um, yes, they could give up some yards and some points, but they have an offense that will keep them in the game. And as a result, they're allowed to take more chances and, you know, do some things that, um, maybe defenses that don't have that type of security blanket, um, aren't able to do, or at least, you know, aren't, um, encouraged to do. Uh, and so that's going to be kind of interesting to see just the aggressiveness, um, uh, that this defense takes on when it comes to creating turnovers, getting after the quarterback, you know, maybe putting yourselves in positions to where – you could get burned but you could also make a game-changing play and remember Central Florida I think was uh, towards the top of the nation in turnovers force last year uh, we saw how aggressive they can get after the quarterback they had five sacks and a half against Auburn and the Nebraska's players watching that game took notice and so I think that they're uh, maybe licking their chops a little bit to play in a style of defense that allows them to make plays as opposed to you know the Bob Diaco system where you just sit back and uh, try and keep points off the
1: board. Yeah, Shenander was asked yesterday by a reporter, you know, do you ever have a conversation with Scott Frost about maybe slowing the offense down or giving your guys a little time? And he said, no, that, that's just not how we operate. We we play fast on both sides of the football. And the thing that stood out to me was said, he said that the the number one thing for, for our defenders is that they have to be prepared to play 17 to 20 possessions at least per game he said and he said you have to be in great shape because by the end of the season we're playing an extra game or two when you look at the total amount of snaps um, that that they play compared to everybody else he said that they they end up playing an extra game or two per season uh just because they're on the field an awful lot but they are aggressive um in in that uh it, when you talk about about the the difference between Bob Diaco's three four and his three four, you know, uh, obviously Coach Frost made a little jab there uh, that they just want to get stops. But he he said the the big thing between his three four and a lot of others is that. Uh, instead of being a true like two gap defense, he, he said that they they run kind of a, a one gap three four. But uh, but we're going to see a ton of different looks this year because they don't necessarily have all the personnel uh, right now that uh, that they would ideally like.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online shows. We talk some defense, and I, I think people forget that in Scott Frost's first year at UCF, it was the offense that really struggled, and it was the defense led by Eric Shenander's crew. Um, that really kind of kept them, you know, in a lot of games, and, and they ended up going to a bowl game in that first year when they went 0-12 the previous year before those guys got there. I um, mean, you know, so many Husker fans just watched the Memphis and the South Florida games, uh, but I think, as Robin alluded, the, the Auburn game that we were at, I mean, that that is really, I think, given a lot of people confidence of, of what this staff will do, the aggressive nature they're going to play with. I still just don't see, though, the outside linebackers – um, right now to to, to make this system truly go, um, that's where a Brian Dixon, um, if he's eligible, I think is going to play a big factor. That's where a Caleb Tanner, when he gets here in the fall, uh, could play a factor, but that is the one position where they need somebody to step up, and they've even mentioned some other names, Robin, like a Quayshawn Alexander, and you know Guy Thomas as well, as guys that are going to get good, good looks this spring.
3: Yeah, as far as we know right now, they don't have a Shaquem Griffin, uh, one of those just dynamic 4-3 type linebackers that could do everything on the football 3-4. Sorry, yeah, 3-4. Uh, and So that's going to be the the process going forward in which, uh, kind of, you alluded to, um, maybe the most immediate turnover um, you can see on that defense will be at that outside linebacker spot as they try and get the pieces they need to play that attacking aggressive style of defense. And, you know, that that's, I guess, a good opportunity, you know, for some of these, you know, incumbent guys that uh, maybe didn't fit in in Diaco's scheme and couldn't see the field, but um, now now, when you have a completely different kind of philosophy of how you defend, and maybe the traits that this staff is looking for opposed to the previous staff, um, maybe that opens a, a couple windows for a guy like Quayshon Alexander or, or you know other guys that you know just seem to be on the outside looking in when it came to the actual uh, game day lineup.
1: Yeah, that's what's going to be fascinating is what guys that maybe. A lot of people had written off, you know, completely. All of a sudden, emerge or find new life in, in the the change in scheme here, um, and and what type of athletes kind of come to the forefront too, like a guy Thomas, because we know, I mean, he's a freaky athlete, but. Um, you know w- w- was the previous staff were they able to to fully take the reins off that off that guy and just let him go make plays um, you know and, and I think from the sound of it he's had a very productive offseason he's been able to add a lot of weight uh, to his frame um, and, and obviously muscle mass and, and strength so uh, he's going to be a guy I think that between him and question Alexander uh, those those are going to be two guys that make a little bit of noise this spring
2: you're listening here to the husker online show as, as we Talk defense here, and and they get things rolling here. Um, you know, talking to Mike Dawson about the defensive line, um, you know, he he said that they're really not going to put guys at specific spots necessarily. Is he wants all those D linemen to be able to play all three spots, which was somewhat of a surprising statement because uh, I do think there are some defined noses on this team, whether that's Mick Stoltenberg or um, Damian Daniels, who's coming off a red shirt, but. Um, they're going to kind of interchange a lot of these guys and, and, and just look, I think, for the best combination. Uh, but I do think they have some material to work with. The Davis twins are coming back. You've got Mick, you've got Damian Daniels, and you've got a number of guys at least uh, that I think can, can make that unit up front strong.
3: Even you have versatile guys, like you mentioned, in guys especially particularly the Davis twins, uh, who Carlos Davis just said is coming off the best winter conditioning of his life. Uh, that's pretty good news and something that's the coaching staff you want to hear because those guys are already pretty good to begin with. And if they start making gains and really um, take their – bodies and strength and speed and, and all that to the next level, uh, they could be really dangerous weapons in this defense, um, you know. And so it's going to be, like I said, maybe the more fun things to watch is uh, how some of these guys, like the Davis twins um, and other people that we've mentioned, um, how they respond to kind of getting that leash taken off a little bit and letting them pin their ears back and just go make plays. Um, that, that probably is going to be, you know, maybe the big best trait of Chinander's defense and maybe the best influence that he instills in these guys that you know allow these playmakers um, that we've been talking about their potential for a few years now uh, allow them to go there, like out there and, and make those plays. Um, you know, don't fear uh, making a mistake, and then all of a sudden, because we've seen, how many times did we see last year, one guy makes a mistake and it's a touchdown. Um, so, and then they had no way of recovering. And so, I think that that's going to be a difference this year. Is they have that um, leeway, they have that trust from their coaches, and you know, there's not such um, detrimental punishment and consequences when they do make those mistakes.
2: All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball as the Nebraska basketball team enter their season Wednesday night in the NIT in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, We'll get Robin's thoughts on just the disappointing way this 2018 season ended. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is huskeronline.com.
1: Your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin washett as we are going to put a wrap on this Nebraska basketball season. Just kind of a typical buzzkill ending in you know, any of us that have followed and been around Nebraska basketball for most of our lives. This is kind of the endings we've been used to, Robin. Um, Nebraska goes on the road. In the NIT, they lose at Mississippi State Wednesday night, 66-59, 22-11 overall. Uh, But, you know, just just an awful game. Nebraska shot 35% uh, from the floor, 6-22 of on threes, only had nine free throws, uh, which is a whole nother story because there were a lot more fouls in that game that probably weren't called around the rim. Uh, But the rebounding margin... Um, was about as high as we've seen in a game all year. Nebraska was out rebounded by 17. Um, you know, down and and you know they only had five turnovers, so it wasn't like they were turning the ball over. They won the turnover battle, 13 to five, but just couldn't hit a shot. It, w- it was just an ugly, ugly way to end this season.
3: It looked like a team that was playing its third game in 22 days. Uh, there was rust. There was just kind of uh, confusion. Um, they didn't have that same aggressiveness that we saw uh, from the team that won 10 of their last 12 games, eight of their last nine. Um, and I think part of that had to do with the layoff, but more importantly, I think it was just the situation. Um, if you go back to Selection Sunday, um, this team really thought that they had a legitimate chance to make the NCAA tournament. And when they did not hear their name called um, on the initial 68 teams, uh, that I think was really detrimental to their psyche. Um, and you kind of saw it. You know, I. I you know, maybe a criticism I have is the fact that they dwelled on it so long. Um, you know, even the day before they left to go down to Starkville, uh, you know, Miles is throwing cheap shots at Joe Lenardi uh, about you know maybe then if we beat all these teams, then maybe we could be the first four out. I mean, it's like at some point you got to just accept your circumstances and make the most of the, the opportunity computer. In the front computer
2: of you. rankings clearly mattered, and yeah. ne- and Nebraska did not win on the computer rankings. Yeah,
3: and- when you put your hopes in the hands of other people's objectivity, then you're really leaving yourself up for potential disappointment. That's what they got. Nebraska had opportunities, not a lot of them. And that's, you know, we've talked about that before, but they had opportunities to solidify their resumes and NCAA tournament team. They lost all those games. They beat one NCAA tournament team. I mean, the, the resume speaks for itself. So I didn't really have a whole big Problem with them not making the tournament. Now the fifth seed in the NIT that is a bit of a. Different they should story have been at me. least
2: a home game. Yeah, like and, one home game.
3: And the explanation, the best explanation I can get for that is the, the NIT went strictly by the KPI rankings. If you go and look at the NIT field and where they ended up in the final KPI numbers, uh, it was literally chalk. chalk. Yeah, and so Nebraska was exactly where they should have been if you're selecting basically solely on
2: that. Yeah, how much? I mean, they're probably not even in the same room. I, I envision a conference call-type deal yeah. where they talk on the phone. I mean, there's no way the NIT committee is getting together on Selection Sunday at 7.30 at night um, to put any time into this. I mean, it's, it's probably a very seamless uh, process where, like you said, they're just looking at a computer yeah. ranking. There was no human
3: element involved. They weren't relying on the eyeball test to seed these teams. So that was a big reason why Nebraska got the draw they did. And So, but that,
2: Penn, so Penn State's rating, rating was higher than Nebraska's? Uh, par- yeah, apparently. I mean... Because the Penn State got a home game. They played Temple. They and, you know, for they, they try to pair you up with teams close by so Penn State and Temple could travel and drive. Now, obviously, Nebraska and Mississippi State, uh, not a deal where that could have happened. Um, there was really nobody close to Lincoln that Nebraska could have played in an NIT game.
3: So, yeah, it was uh, a kind of – punched to the gut in a lot of different ways. And so I think that was indicative in how they played. Um, You know, they they tried to stick to this uh, theme of playing angry, but it just kind of seemed like a team that was, you know, almost ready to get their season done with. Um, You know, that was disappointing, I know, in a lot of ways. um, I don't think the loss itself in the NIT – you know, if they would have won that game and then lost to Baylor in the next round, I don't think it changes the narrative much at all. I think people were already pretty disappointed about the way that this season went down. Um, but, you know, going one and done in the tournament after making the complaints that they had for the last couple of weeks, um, it, it kind of just came off as a bad look. And I think probably only fueled the criticisms and the questions that, you know, this program is getting right now uh, as they turn the page uh, into the
2: off season. Yeah, James Palmer, Robin goes eight of twenty-four over Nebraska's final two games, um, so he he really cooled off. Uh, Glenn Watson, you know he was four twelve against Michigan, um, and you know didn't shoot it any better in this game the other night. Um, he was uh, three, three of 12. twelve, so you know he goes seven of twenty-four to close the year. You're you're just not, when you're two main guards um, when basketball, especially, is a guard-driven sport right now. Give you that kind of production. And they're, you know, at least Palmer against Michigan made nine of 11 free throws. But, you know, in this game, he didn't get, they weren't calling much. um, But, you know, the free throws for Nebraska, seven and nine, I mean, that just shows you that they were not getting to the rim. Um, they were settling for 17-foot jumpers and long three-pointers. And
3: 22 three-pointers. I mean, that's that's the recipe for disaster. That's what they did against Illinois, and they lost. And so uh, you, when Nebraska is passive offensively— And they settle
2: for that jumper.
3: They lose because they don't have the shooters. Uh, when they attack the rim, and maybe that's another issue, like you said, the fact that they were getting to the rim and not getting the foul calls, maybe that— Change their approach. Uh, but still, I mean, Nebraska is a team that needs to be the aggressor. They need to force the issue at the rim and get to the free throw line. James Palmer had four free throws. I mean, he's a guy that is averaging Ten. around eight to 10 at least. Uh, so that was a big difference in the game. And I think a lot of you know his regression comes with teams figuring out if you just double him up, um, Nebraska just doesn't have the help right now. I mean, Isaac Copeland is Inconsistent. Glenn Watson is extremely inconsistent. Isaiah Roby is inconsistent, and so you're going to take your chances of shutting down the one guy who can bring it on a nightly night basis, and then hope or hope that you know some other guys aren't aren't going to beat you. So that was the formula Mississippi State used. They had the athleticism, um, especially with their wings, to match up with Nebraska, and you know they they were the aggressors, and Nebraska settled, and that's the reason the outcome was what it was. Okay,
2: two things as we wrap this up. Number one, Robin, attrition. We're going to see it. it has happens every year. Yep. Nebraska fans don't like it, but guys, every school averages two and a half guys leaving per year. There
3: already are almost 150 transfers on the market right now, and the NCAA tournament is just getting underway. So,
2: number one, um, how do you see it playing out um, with some of these guys? And then number two, uh, um, Miles' contract. I mean, how does that play out here over the over the coming weeks?
3: Yeah, I mean, they're going to lose somebody or well, probably a couple guys, um, maybe even somebody that the fans don't want to see go. Um, I do If I were to guess right now, I would say James Palmer's back. Isaac Copeland probably leaves. Um, and I only say that because... Even for like an
2: overseas career?
3: It could be overseas. It could be an Andrew White type situation uh, where he you know, goes back to east. Uh, Wait, to so he'll for, have his degree. Yeah, I mean, he'll be graduated. Uh, he's already got his degree this spring. He'll be 23 years old, and he's playing with a back that you don't know how much longer he's going to play. So I wouldn't knock him at all if he wanted to go make some money instead of playing another season for free. Um, and then obviously there's guys like Jack McVeigh that I think are inevitable that are probably going to move on somewhere. Um, but the issue is, can they keep the bulk of that core together? Um, I think they do. Um, obviously, Nana Kenton, Thor Thorby, and Arson have already publicly said they're coming back. Um, you know, Thomas Allen will be back. I'd be stunned if Glenn Watson left, and certainly if Isaiah Roby left. I don't even think that's a question. Um, and as far as Tim Miles' contract, that's the, the next big issue at hand. Uh, how does Bill Moose want to approach that? Does he think Tim is the guy for the long-term future? It's about
2: years, it's about yeah. money, and it's about buyout.
3: And I don't think you can get by with just the bare minimum contract because I don't know if Tim's going to take it. Um, you know, He's been basically coaching with zero job security for the last two seasons. Does he want to do it again um, and basically have a year where 22 wins and 13 wins in the Big Ten isn't good enough? And then if you're Bill Moose and you don't think Tim's your guy and you want to make a change, uh, you better have somebody in line. I mean, he's hired one, two basketball coaches in his career as an athletic director, and they were the same guy. Ernie Kent. So he doesn't have a track record of very successful um, you know basketball coaching hires. And so if if he has a guy in place that is going to be a significant upgrade from what Tim miles has done over the last six years, Sure, go for it. But if you if not, you better lock this thing up to at least a two year extension, to where Tim Miles has two year or four full years Make left the on deal his contract, whole. so he can recruit and other teams can't use it against Nebraska in recruiting.
2: Oh, there's no question he's gonna get an ex- if he's back next year he's gonna you have, have to, and it has to be two years. You it's cannot buy a one, one year deal. It's at least four, right? He's gotta have four on the
3: yeah, deal, and he has two years right now remaining on his contract after so after this season. Correct. Yeah, he, he's through 2020,
2: which is unheard of. I mean, that is unheard of in, in major division one sports right now, to have just two years on a contract. And
3: it's, it's been holding Nebraska back on the recruiting front. They I've, I've said this before, they have lost recruits because of Tim Miles' contract situation. So that has to be addressed. If you keep him, you have to at least lock him up for a full four years. And I
2: imagine it's not a deal, Robin, where they're telling these kids, like, opposing schools aren't saying it directly to kids. They're maybe telling their AAU coach, hey, you know, Nebraska's a good place, but just so you know, Miles might only, you know, he only has two years on that contract, so make sure Joe knows that, you know.
3: There are, there are teams within the Big Ten Conference that have Brought that up to recruits that Nebraska thought they were going to get, and then Nebraska doesn't get them, and they go to that Big Ten school.
2: So, there you go. Well, we're not, this will not be our last basketball segment of the year. I can promise you that (laughs) because I think there's going to be plenty, whether it's a contract, whether it's attrition, whether it's recruiting. uh, We will keep you up to date on all of that here, but uh, we're going to shift gears to recruiting. Nebraska had a visitor on campus this week, and they continue to add more names here and make more offers. Uh, We'll close out with Nate Klaus on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk some recruiting. And, um, you know, it's kind of the calm before the storm. But Nebraska hosted really one of their first official visitors, Nate, of the spring um, yesterday, Messiah Newsom out of Waverly uh, shell rock high school in iowa uh, came in a big six foot four six five uh true defensive end and then three four, waited at 260 on his visit and eric shenandernate has made no bones about it he is an iowa guy he's he's got strong roots across the state he wants iowa to be a bigger priority and you know getting one of the top five guys in iowa on campus um already a uh, pretty good sign on that
1: yeah re- really good sign i mean uh, Newsom is a target that Iowa, the Iowa Hawkeyes are after heavily. Uh, I know he's visited there several times. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I mean, let's be honest, the – the Hawkeyes like to try and keep all their top guys in state. They do a really good job of that. Obviously, they compete with Iowa State with a lot of with a lot of in-state guys, but for the most part they get who they want. And Newsom is one of those guys that they really want. And so for Nebraska to be able to get a guy that fits their 3-4 defense and, and uh, that they like to either play a five technique or a three tech um, along their, their defensive front and that has the body to do it, uh, it while possibly being able to steal a kid uh, from, from the Hawkeyes, uh, I, th- I think would be kind of a, a double whammy. And, and Eric Chenander, like you said, is from Iowa. Uh, he has a lot of connections in the state. He, he, he was at uh, Northern Iowa for a long time and, and has really enjoys recruiting the state, and uh, and, and he's definitely making a priority to, to get in there and, and to get some of those kids over to Nebraska, just like Iowa has done a good job of taking some Nebraska kids over the years.
2: Yeah, he's really the first guy they've had on a staff at Nebraska – Nate, with real true ties, especially on the Eastern side of the state, it, you know, Western Iowa, they get Omaha media, they get the news in the Omaha world Herald, a lot of places in Western Iowa. Um, so it's a little easier to go on the Western side of the state, but once you cross Des Moines, I mean, Iowa doesn't lose those guys. So yeah. if, if they were able to, to get a guy East of Des Moines, that. Iowa wanted, that would be quite a quite a surprise. Yeah, it just
1: doesn't happen very often. And and so but I, t- I tell you what, I mean, I think if anyone can do it that's been at Nebraska in recent memory, it would probably be Eric Shenander. You know, Rick Kaczynski had a few ties because he had coached at Iowa, but Chenander is from Iowa. He played at Iowa. Uh, his his parents are, have been educators in Iowa uh, for all their lives. I mean, he he's got legitimate connections in the state, and so uh, I, I think he connects well with with the players. Uh, and and obviously, he knows a lot of the high school coaches in the state uh, from having grown up there and, and coached at Northern Iowa and so on and so forth.
2: Or uh, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus talking some Husker recruiting, Nate and. You know St. Louis um, Husker fans have had this, this fascination with St. Louis. They just want to get in there, and you know, rightfully so. There's more four-star players in that city than any other place around the 500-mile radius. But for whatever reason, um, it's been a struggle. Uh, Nebraska has not been able to to really, you know, gain a lot of traction on those top four-star kids um, in that St. Louis area. And as we look ahead to 19, it's not looking very promising. What's your early take on? kind of why Nebraska hasn't been able to make a move in St. Louis.
1: Well, you know, it's (laughs) – I don't know where to start, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a multi-pronged deal. Uh, And it it looked like the tide was going to be able to start turning for Nebraska after they got Trey Bryant in the 26 – or the 2015 class, I believe, Uh, because he was a big-name kid out of the area. He he went to one of the the more talent-rich schools in CBC High School there. Uh, in the city and and it looked like, okay, uh, with Trey Bryant, that could possibly be the guy to, you know, open up some doors in the city. Well, they didn't really. They didn't really dedicate themselves to recruiting the area as hard as they should have. And uh, and so the next year, they didn't get anyone out of there. Um, and you know, and 20, all of a sudden, 2018 rolls around, and they're trying to, to get in there a little bit more. And, and they had a lot of interest from a lot of these players. And, and Cameron Brown obviously had committed uh, twice. And, uh, but with the coaching change, you know, with the poor season and everything, it just didn't materialize. They ended up getting nobody from Missouri out of the state last year. And now you bring in a new staff and they're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit, trying to make some connections in the city and, um, you know, and, and kind of create somewhat of a presence there, and they've tried to do that. But so far, you know, the top three kids in the state of Missouri all hail from St. Louis, and so far all of them have released their their, kind of their top eight or top five schools, kind of cut their list down, and none of them include Nebraska at this point in time. Now, I'm not saying that Nebraska – won't be able to get in it with them potentially uh, down the road, you know, especially maybe if they have an unbelievable first season or if they're able to somehow get these guys on campus. But it doesn't seem likely right now. So when you start going down the list, all of a sudden, it's wide receiver Kyron Williams, uh, who holds an offer already and may be a potential visitor for the spring game, looks to be maybe their best bet. Yeah, Along, the I best mean, bet. And you got
2: Danielson. Um, IK IK. in Kansas City, um, that you know, once you get, I mean, and and naturally you expect, I mean, I would think Greg Austin is going to be able to develop a good relationship with him. Ryan Held is the front man in Kansas City, he's from down there. So you would you would think in Ike is originally from Florida. So there's a lot there going with the he's the number one guy right now still in Missouri, right? Or have they adjusted
1: that? No, he's number 4. Four, four.
2: Four. Forks, he's number one guy in Kansas City. Number one guy in Kansas City. So that's to me uh, a guy they have to really continue to to hit on. But and
1: it's all about getting these guys on campus. They have to get them on campus. And the frustrating part is the top three guys in Missouri never came here. No, they have been here. That's what's frustrating. They've been on campus and not with this new staff. Not with the new staff, but they've cut their list now. So, I mean, the chances of getting them on campus after they've kind of narrowed their focus is going to be very difficult.
2: You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as uh, we discuss recruiting now. uh, Nate, it's really going to be, um, you know, a trio of junior days now, March 31st. April seventh, and obviously the Red White game on April twenty first. So, what have you seen kind of shake out on these three dates um, this week? Any movement on some big visitors that have confirmed?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, we're starting to see more and more confirmations roll in. The the thing that um, the bigger names are are kind of starting to come in for. Um, for the the spring game obviously like like you'd kind of expect and it's starting to kind of play out the way that that we anticipated it to with the bigger names coming in for the spring game and more regional guys coming in for the the two junior days on uh, March 31st and April 7th um, but I mean overall the talent the talent level so far is is pretty good uh you know especially when you look at uh, all the commits obviously are, are coming in but kyle ford is a top 100 wide receiver arguably the top overall wide receiver on the west coast he's coming in cam coleman is a four-star wide out at, from img academy
2: former st louis guy former
1: st louis guy ty robinson is a four-star d end uh who has some interesting ties to the state of nebraska he's out of arizona uh, and he's already taken an unofficial so far th- this this winter uh but his his uh, his parents are from Nebraska. His dad played football at Shattern State. Uh, so they have some connections to the state of Nebraska. But, I mean, he's a kid who's seen just his offer list is just completely blown up. I think right now, this weekend, he's he's taken a, kind of an unofficial visit tour through the state of California, going to UCLA, USC, Cal, uh, Stanford, and, and those types of programs. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's got basically all the offers from all the major Power 5 conferences Conferences in the country, so uh, but he would be a great addition. Uh, but he's coming; he's making a return visit uh, back to to Lincoln for the spring game. So you're starting to see more and more, uh, you know, bigger names. R- in, a, in national guys making their their uh, intentions known that they're going to be visiting along with some some regional guys too, and that's only going to grow. I mean, here over the next week or two, I've, I expect things to really explode once once players kind of lock in their visit plans, once the the airline tickets have been purchased, and uh, because we've gotten we've talked to a ton of kids who said, "Well, I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm wanting to." They got to book that travel. But they got to yeah. You know, we, we all know these lists are extremely fluid until until the the airline ticket has been booked.
2: Well, it's going to be um, a busy spring. It will slow down, though, next week. It will be spring break, but there will still be plenty to talk about after Nebraska opens up their first practice here uh, on Friday morning.
1: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.